Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. Today is December 22nd. One more day of USC football practice in Los Angeles before the Christmas break. And then heading off to San Diego to play in the Holiday Bowl. We're going to talk with uscfootball.com beat writer and columnist Dan Weber uh, about the team, about the preparation, about practice today that we went to a little bit earlier. If you have any questions or comments, and you guys have sent in a lot this week, even though not as much has been going on, podcast at uscfootball.com is the email address, or you can call us at 641-715-3900, extension 816-646. Hit the pound side, leave us a voicemail, try to keep it brief. You can also do it on our website, peristylepodcast.com. Click on the left side of the page from your computer or your device. You can leave a voicemail there. And if you want to subscribe, go to itunes.com slash peristylepodcast. We have our own URL on iTunes, uh, it's the most popular podcasting site out there. So you can go leave us some feedback. Uh, five-star rating would be nice. And, of course, subscribe to the show. Now, let's bring in Dan. What's up, Dan? How are you doing? Uh, pretty good. And kind of enjoying the, the back to football and uh, watching them uh, get ready. I'm kind of intrigued about how this is all going to go together, and it's uh, it's kind of fun to watch. It is fun to watch, and we're just not sure how it's going to go together. It's uh, we're we're learning as we go, and we'll try to share everything that we do know from what we watched. And we're going to touch on a lot of subjects, Dan, because I got a lot of questions coming in. Wanted to thank our sponsor, Michael Moline Real Estate. Uh, before we get going, so go to his website, MichaelMolineRealEstate.com. You spell it M-O-L-I-N-E, or call him at three one zero two seven five four six eight eight. He's our buddy, big USC guy. He helps out with the USC stats team. Uh, based here in Southern California and Beverly Hills. If you need help with real estate and you're going to uh, call Michael Moline, he'll have uh, a little message at the end of the show as well. And, uh, Dan, let's jump in with a – I'll start with a voicemail question, I guess. We still get a lot of questions about assistant coaches' hirings and all that kind of stuff, getting ready for the Wisconsin game. But I'll start off with this voicemail one for you. Uh, this question is either for you, Ryan, or uh, for Dan. Uh, this is John in Santa Barbara. Um, I called in a couple of months ago and said that if USC hires an older, experienced head coach, they will have contacts and be able to bring in outstanding defensive and offensive coordinators and other staff members. Now, at a party that I was at recently, we all agreed that USC again has made the wrong decision and has now hired an inexpensive, an inexperienced, head coach who is now going to surround himself with nice, possibly competent assistant coaches, and USC is going to go down the same trail that they went before. Having an older, experienced coach with an outstanding reputation, with outstanding contacts in the field of coaching would have made a much better decision. Thanks a lot. Love the show. Well, I mean, Here's the other option there is you can hire a, uh, you know, relatively young, uh, coach in terms of, uh, you know, head coaching experience for sure. <clears throat> but he may have 
just by being at USC, you might have some pretty darn good contacts of really well, uh, you know, well vetted, very experienced, uh, some of the best coaches in the country. I mean, you know, if you've just coached at USC the last few years, you're very familiar with somebody like Ed Orgeron, who is probably one of the, you know, two or three most respected uh, defensive line coaches. I mean, you're, you're, you know, just by being at USC. So you don't have to necessarily be, you know, a, uh, a guy experience and been around everywhere and all that kind of thing to be able to have the right contact you would have a contact with a, a Clancy Pendergast uh, one of the uh, you know really uh, experienced defensive coordinators uh, both NFL and college you'd, be, you'd have been around a Tommy Robinson one of the more respected you know running back coaches in the country so I, I don't know that going with uh, with a Clay Helton necessarily rocks you out of uh uh, of all of those contacts. And, and you can look at this with, say, if you say the Pete Carroll hiring was a, you know, perfect example of a, uh, a coach, even though he hadn't been a head coach for a number of years, had been around, you know, college football and pro football, had lots of contacts, and he made some really good hires. Uh, Norm Chow, I think, plucking him out of North Carolina State, uh, because he said we want to find the best, uh, uh, offensive coordinator we can. I don't think Pete knew Norm, but he knew I need somebody like that who's really experienced at the college game. He also knew enough to say, I'm going to keep Ed Orger on, on the staff. And uh, so there are all different kinds of ways that you, you can do those kinds of things. Uh, and uh, I wouldn't just write with a real broad brush in terms of how uh, experience is going to predict uh, the ability to to do or, or not do something. Um, and, and, yeah, I think Clay is going to find a coaching staff that he's really comfortable with and confident in, and whether that means that's a smaller circle that you're looking at, uh, you know, that possibly is the case. I just think this is one that it's just so hard. I mean, we've tried, for example, over the years, and we've looked at, say, just the categories, say, offensive line coaches. You know how hard it is to vet an offensive line coach? I mean, I don't care who you are. I mean, how, if you look at Pete Carroll's history, some yes, some no, some you got right, some you didn't get right, and all the contacts in the world aren't necessarily going to be able to tell you how somebody's going to work out in a particular job at a particular time in their career and in your career and all the things you're doing. So I don't know that you can make any definitive statements right now about how this is all going to turn out. I just don't think we can. And I would if I thought I could. I just, I think at this point, I think I know enough to know what I don't know. <laughs> Inexact science for sure. Um, wait, but we, we hear those concerns a lot, Dan, for sure. There's a lot of people. Uh, it's going to be hard to tell. Um, USC went with Clay Helton and, uh, you know, now we're going to, we'll find out. We're finding out, you know, well, a little bit now. I mean, I guess the good thing is it's what, and I grew up in Kentucky and I remember <clears throat> what Adolph Rupp always said. The great thing about sports, or I, I'm not sure if he said it was just basketball or sports, is he said he would point up and say, you see that thing with the numbers on it? That's a scoreboard. <laughs> they keep score. And we're going to know. Yeah. Whether. 
because that's why they keep score, and you're going to find out. And there you go. I mean, that's the uh, we won't have to. We're going to know. Let's move on. We got Chris uh, in Culver City. He says, USC prides itself on being the best playing and best, I'm sorry, excuse, USC prides itself on being the best by playing the best anywhere at any time. Uh, well, our schedule for 2016 is just that. USC fans need to stop whining uh, about it. If we're going to change the culture, one thing that needs to stop is to stop the, quote, woe is USC attitude. Those teams have to deal with us, too. Just remember that. As Ed Helms said in Apollo 13, uh, in the midst of the crisis, this will be our finest hour. It is what it is, and I'm happy we have a tough schedule. Love the podcast and fight on. Chris from Culver City. You're exactly right. I mean, if you can't get behind this team next year, uh, what a wonderful opportunity. I mean, it's just, you can say, wow, it's a new coaching staff and, you know, the third one and, you know, five years and that kind of thing. Uh, but, uh, it's also as great an opportunity as the program's almost ever had to, to make the kind of impact that USC could make next year. I mean, I, I, it could be USC's, you know, toughest ever schedule. And, uh, without a doubt, it has to be the toughest schedule in the country. And, uh, you know, and let's say you open Alabama, and I know people look at USC and say, oh, Alabama's got Nick Saban. But try to name the last five coaches before Nick Saban at Alabama. You remember them? I mean, they went through faster than, you know, Paul Hackett. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they had a lot of misses. And it's easy to say now, oh, or, you know, pick the Notre Dame most recent coaches that they're still paying off. Uh, you know, and one guy's at New Mexico and another guy, I'm not even sure where he is. Uh, and, um, it's not easy to do this. And I know at times you can say, oh my gosh, look at what they're doing and look at what USC's doing. Um, but, uh, you know, I will say this. I was unbelievably impressed with how Clay Helton and Max Nikias got along at practice yesterday. That says so. I don't know if, you know, we can say good, bad, or indifferent. I mean, it's always, I remember when I was getting out of college and I decided I wanted to be a high school teacher and coach. And I got Pear Bryant's, uh, book on how to coach football. And the forward to the book, I remember this to this day, he said the most important thing you can do when coaching football is to get the president of the university on your side. <laughs> that's the most important thing. He said, once that's done, now you can work on everything else. <laughs> so we maybe at least can look at USC and say, well, that's a start. That is a start. That's not too bad uh, for Clay Helton there. You want the president on your side. Um, let's keep going. We got Man, we got so many questions today, Dan. They, they love it. Everyone loves it. They just know it's a weird time of year. Tana. Uh, this, he said, this is for Daniel Weber. So very formal. Uh, for next year, our best chance is win it to win is by putting Toa Labadon at left tackle, Damian Mama at left guard, Khalil Rogers at center, Vianney Talmavio at right guard, and Zach Banner at right tackle. I really don't, uh, like what I saw from Wheeler this year from missed assignments to stupid penalties. I thought this quote before the incident. What do you think is the best starting offensive lineup? 
Well, it's interesting you asked uh, that question because I talked to Zach after practice today, and Zach is looking at the move to left tackle as a permanent thing. He's taking it that way in his mind. He's being challenged that way. And the thing I like best about it is part of that challenge is you lose 25 to 30 pounds, and you're no longer the 360-pound guy, the 6'9", 360. You're the 6'9", 335-pound guy with uh, basketball feet. That guy could be pretty impressive uh, as, the, as the left tackle at USC. So I think it's really giving Zach something to shoot for. So I like starting with him there. I mean, he's uh, – I still remember the, the closest thing to that when we when USC had Matt Khalil. Uh, you know, close to maybe not quite 6'7", but, but, but right there uh, – I like him and that kind of a guy, and uh, Shotgun keeps pointing out, you know, Zach's only gotten beat once in his career, really gotten run around, and uh, so you're getting down 25 pounds or so, 30 pounds, and uh, he becomes a pretty formidable uh, left tackle. It's basically what you're trying to do is force those guys to take such a wide angle and to go into such a wide arc and if you can keep your feet moving and if you can keep those long arms extended, you push him to a place where by the time he gets turned around, he's not uh, near the quarterback. Uh, and that's the, that's the whole idea. So, uh, and, and Zach's all excited about working on his new kick steps and crunches and all the things that, and it's, it's kind of neat what's happened with the, you know, bringing in, uh, you know, Mike Off and Leonard Vandermade and these guys are kind of, you know, getting this offensive line group pretty uh, energized. Uh, but uh, but I, I think I would start with Zach and then see how everything else falls into place. I think, you know, the guards look like the way you'd want to go. And uh, Khalil, I think, uh, uh, and Nico, I like kind of the combination of Khalil and, and Nico. I think Chris Brown gives you a third guard that you can go with. And then uh, I think Chuma. Uh, is going to be in it. And, and now you've got, I think, Toa in that situation where he can play all the positions. And I think he's got the kind of uh, mind and he's got the kind of body where he, could, he can kind of fill in everywhere. And that's not something most guys can do. So to me, that might be a, a really interesting way to go if, if, if I would, you know, if I would kind of just draw things up right now. Uh, that would be probably my, uh, my look uh, down the road. All right. Thanks for that. That was a good question there. Kevin, he's in South Orange County. He said, I'd love to hear your response first to this. Then what Dan uh, adds is a little interesting how he responds after your candor. Okay. I'll do my best, Kevin. Uh, a few weeks ago, Clay Helton was asked about why Cody drops the ball off short so often, and his response was that they coach him to do so. I recall hearing that initially and thought how ridiculous that was, and just as, as I suspected, you were quite adamant yourself about the stupidity of that uh, coaching decision. I don't think I ever said it was stupid, but I, I, yeah. I'll let you know what I think. Uh, very interested to see if they do the same thing with Max Brown next year. Max clearly has a much more live arm than Cody and can push the ball uh, intermediate and deep with these. Is that just a system philosophy or timid coaching? What are your thoughts and Dan's follow up? Thanks, Kevin in South Orange County. And 
And yeah, real quick, I'll, and then Dan can respond. I mean, we've asked them that because the, the biggest issue I've had, Dan and, and everyone else, is when you're talking about you're down by two scores against Notre Dame, you're down by two scores against Stanford during the regular season, and the two-minute drill with four minutes or so left looked like it was more you're trying to run out the clock, a lot of five-yard pa- passes that shouldn't have been even an option. And when we asked about that, why are you guys taking that, it just the, the answer seemed to be, well, they dropped in the coverage, so we teach it, you know, Cody to take what the defense gives them. And I think in that situation, you have to take risks. You have to score twice. You can't throw short of the sticks and not get out of bounds. So to me, yeah, I, I didn't think that was a, a smart way to kind of design the offense. And I'm not sure if it was something where uh, Clay Helton was kind of uh, covering for Cody Kessler. I'm not really sure. But, yeah, I don't agree with that philosophy. But when we've asked the coaching staff, we've asked Clay Helton, that's kind of what he said uh, was played. I don't get your thoughts, Dan. Yeah, and P also kind of uh, went – pretty much down that same road. Uh, uh, I think part of it is the uh, the lack of uh, confidence in the offensive line to be able to, you know, just flat out set up and throw deep when the other team knows you're going to set up and throw deep, even if they're dropping eight guys back. Uh, and so I think part of that, it, very often, for example, they won't have the tight end in a pattern because they're, you know, keeping them in, you know, to, to protect. And so that limits kind of things you can do with, you know, over the middle, the mid-range stuff that, uh, you know, at least you could throw at 12 or 15 yards or try to get something where you catch it uh, moving downfield as opposed to catching it basically a stop route or, uh, you know, a, a turn where you just turn it and hook and then facing the uh, line of scrimmage. Uh, it's an area they really do have to figure out how to get it done better. I don't know that it's so much, uh, you know, covering for Cody. Uh, you know, if I had to guess, he's had some, uh, issues with his arm. Uh, and it's one of those things. All of that is, is a guess. He certainly, it looks more live now. Uh, you can have a dead arm. You can also, he got hit an awful lot of times this year. So you get to the situation where maybe you don't want him just going back and, 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 you know, cocking and throwing. But, uh, there does seem to be, uh, a blind spot when it, it doesn't matter if he completes everything, you know, according to what the defense gives you. It, it doesn't matter. You, there are times you just have to take something else. You have to force it. You got to have a, you know, a wide receiver make a great play. You've got to, you know, set something up that they're not expecting. It hasn't worked. It's, it's probably by far the biggest flaw in in the system that we've seen. And we will tell you we haven't gotten a good answer. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's go. Good questions there. John in Brea, California. He says, uh, as anxious as I am to have USC play the Holiday Bowl, and move on to next year after looking at the schedule put out by the Pac-12 today. So this came out a little while ago. I guess I should I should say that I'm really looking forward to next October. What is it with Larry Scott and why and what does he have against USC? Why does the Pac-12 conference front load marquee games like USC versus Stanford and USC versus Utah? It's conceivable USC will start 2016 one and three. Once again, USC plays on a Friday night and another Thursday night game in the Coliseum. 
How is that good for the conference? I'm so frustrated with the way this conference is run and how Larry Scott treats USC and the LA market, the conference's most marketable brand and largest fan base. Can you shed some light on how the Pac-12 conference schedule is put together? Thanks for taking the time to answer my question. Fight on, John and Brea. Well, John, I think if you talk to the Pac-12, they would say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We give USC something we don't give anybody else. We, for example, we moved uh, the Cal-Stanford game. It's not always where it used to be. And that's one of the great traditional games in America. But we've allowed USC to play uh, Notre Dame in the middle of October, in the middle of our schedule, every other year. And then Notre Dame gets to come and play uh, the last game of the year in the Coliseum every other year. So I think the Pac-12 would say, look, we give in plenty to USC. We've, uh, we've allowed them to keep that. I mean, obviously, if you're USC and Notre Dame, you say, what? You know, this is like the greatest intersectional uh, rivalry in the history of college football. So uh, you would think it would have the chance to be grandfathered in. But I think they would say, okay, we're giving you that. Uh, there are going to be times where you're going to end up, uh, you know, inconvenient. I think it's foolish when you look at the way the rest of the country, Big Ten, Big 12, uh, a, I don't know, ACC quite as much, but the Big 12 and the Big Ten and the SEC, obviously, those three are backloading their schedules. I mean, there's, those teams are, they want to see how many we can, uh, teams we can have that are top 25 for how many weeks of the season where we schedule them against no one until the last three weeks when they all eventually have to play one another. Or if you're in the Big Ten, you don't have to play anybody, like Wisconsin. Here they are, 9-3, and three, and not to put them down, but they haven't played Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, or Penn State. How can you be in the Big Ten and not <laughs> play any of those teams? Yeah. That's, that's like, so they don't even hit the back load or front load. They just would need to load that schedule uh, <laughs> and some of those Big Ten schedules. I mean, when when all you're doing is playing, you know, when Iowa is your your big big game, uh, you know, so already in the Pac-12, you're playing a lot of people who could beat you, uh, and you know, it's uh, it's not the greatest thing. But the good thing there is, go beat those teams. I mean, it was. You know, be ready. USC, I think, should have been happy to be playing Sanford two weeks after they couldn't score a touchdown against Northwestern. A good USC team, a well-coached USC team, a well-prepared USC team would have beaten that Stanford team. Yeah. This USC team, God knows what they were focused on that night. God <laughs> knows what the game plan was. But that they allowed Stanford to become Stanford that night. And uh, and that was on USC. USC had them at home, had a chance to set the you know the terms of the season, and couldn't make it happen. Uh, if you talk to the Utah people, I don't think they were that happy having to come in play USC when they did. And USC was ready for Utah. So you know you just have to make that work for you. You have to basically have that Pete Carroll attitude about what a great opportunity this is. You know, for our football team, uh, we got a chance to do something maybe nobody else will. Yeah, I have to be ready. 
I mean, I, I don't like it, for example, the back-to-back road games that uh, at the end of the year. For I think that I would complain about that. The fact that, um, you know, you're going to play uh, bum, 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 bum. They get the two back-to-back, the back-to-back games where they get a short week and then uh, UCLA, I guess, uh, back-to-back. And I don't like that. you got to travel. I guess they travel to Utah. And the Utah Utah is home two straight weeks, and USC is on the road for two straight weeks, and they they get a short week uh, going to Utah. So not only do you, you just get five days because you got a travel day, uh, and they're sitting at home. I don't like that. That that you think they would be able to maybe not have that happen? Then in your uh, in your short week when you have to travel. Uh, you wouldn't have to do both of those in the same week, and and that would be objectionable to me. But I know last year Arizona had to play 12 straight games, no buys, and they were saying part of the reason was because of the USC Notre Dame game. So, you know, and the only time they could schedule USC Arizona was when maybe otherwise they'd have had a buy. So it kind of works both ways, but it doesn't always seem to work. Uh, Last year, USC didn't have the deal where everybody they were playing in the league had uh, a bye week or a long week before they got USC. Last year, that didn't happen. Two right. years ago, it did, and it was unbel- it was like this can't be a coincidence right. <laughs> that everybody has more time to prepare for USC than USC has to prepare for them. But uh, uh, but I could see how USC fans would be a little bit. Um, upset with a Pac-12 that does seem to be a little more uh, focused on the, you know, the fact that they're in the Bay Area and they located the Pac-12 network there and basically the the locus of college football on the West Coast is L.A. There's no question about it. Always has been. And you've got the Coliseum and the Rose Bowl and UCLA and USC in the same town and yet you can look at it sometimes and say, you know, it does look like they're overlooking the L.A. schools. And you can make that case. All right, let's uh, move on. Man, we got a bunch of these. Jackson from San Francisco says, thanks for your honest opinion of the administration during the USC hires. Is there pressure from the administration to be more supportive of their decisions? Uh, It's really too bad that the administration didn't go through a thorough process to end up with Helton. Then I believe both the Sunshine Pumpers and Dooms and Doomsayers would be aligned. Uh, what do you feel are realistic expectations for Helton in 2016 and 17? As you stated in a podcast, this team is ready to go with young talent. First year coaches are typically given a bogey the first year, yet successful coaches in, in the NCAA typically win big their second year. I would say that a successful 2016 would be nine to 10 wins and a successful 2017 would be a trip to the playoffs. Thanks, uh, Jackson. Yeah, Jackson, I w- I'm sorry about what I said about uh, San Francisco anyway uh, in the previous <laughs> question, but I, I will say this. I'm not counting next year as Clay's uh, first year. Next year is Clay's second year, and uh, I think it has to be considered as such. And I think second years are the years where, you know, coaches – Show what they can do, and I was talking to Lenny Vandermeid about what it was like, and he was he said, you know, he he's now a 
uh, went from administrative assistant to helping coach the uh, offensive line, and he played on those early Pete Carroll teams. And he said, I know what it was like to be on a 5-7 and seven team, and I knew what it was like to be on a national championship team, and USC did that. And uh, in second year with Pete uh, was the year that you knew things had turned around completely. It, this was this was not where USC football was. And I think, Clay, I think the challenge is to show that that's the case next year. Now, <laughs> in a year where you're you're on the road uh, at, you know, I would say you're on the road and you're playing Alabama. That's not exactly you're not in Tuscaloosa, but you're on the road and you're playing Alabama. Two weeks later, you're on the road and you're playing Stanford. Uh, that to say, wow, for any coach, that's an unbelievable challenge. Uh, for USC, I just think you have to say, Clay Helton's the coach. It's not, he's not a rookie coach. He's not a, you know, whatever, he's just a USC coach and you've got a coach like you're at USC. And for whatever that, you know, that means, but, uh, uh he's gonna have a pretty good team. And, uh, I think they've gotta approach this like, uh, we've got a good team and, uh, we're going to show you, and what a great opportunity uh, for us to, you know, if you're going to be run first, you're going to be physical, you're going to win games in the trenches. Man, what better uh, time to show that you can do that than Alabama and Stanford in the first three games? It just doesn't get any better than that. And the, the first part, there's no pressure from the administration for us to not be critical. Wow. We've never never heard anybody. We talk to people in the administration that they'd like, you know, off the record, we agree, you know, so I don't think, you know, not people are making the decisions, but you know what I'm saying, Dan. <laughs> yeah, they, no, they, <clears throat> it's, uh, there, there are a lot of good things about being around USC, and, and that's one of them. They, I mean, it might be one of those things that, uh, is it a positive that maybe they think, oh, well, what you, you know, say about us can't hurt us? Uh, I would think USC uh, doesn't react uh, the way a lot of schools would to uh, criticism. They just kind of, they're kind of in their own, and this is a good thing and a bad thing. They can be kind of in their own bubble. And even on campus, between, say, the athletic department and the rest of campus, they can kind of be in their own bubble. And so... You don't always act like, oh, wow, I've got to react to this because that might really, you know, be hurtful. They kind of think, hey, we're USC. We'll be fine. All right. Let's let's see. Let's go to Harold. He's in Northern California, another Northern NorCal guy. Not an international question, but, you know, Northern California is close enough. Uh, Just kidding, guys. Thanks for the Sunday podcast with Coach Hyde. I could not agree more about the offense not spreading the ball out the past few seasons. I have no idea what plays are called, but it looks like Cody only has eyes for his primary receiver. Uh, it's time to spread the love and get all the offensive weapons involved. Over the weekend, I heard about the Chad Wheeler story. Young men will make mistakes, and there is never a good time to get detained by the LAPD. But the timing of the story is especially bad since the team should be focused on holiday ball prep. This is reminiscent of the sh- of Josh Shaw's Baywatch story, where is the quote-unquote family atmosphere we heard so much about that was supposed to keep the players out of trouble? On the bright side, uh, the team won't be missing Chad's share of penalties and missed assignments. Ouch. If he sits out of the Holiday Bowl. Thanks again 
for all the fantastic coverage of the podcast. Happy holidays to you, Coach Hyde, Dan, Mr. Martinez, Fight On Beat the Badgers, Harold and Nora Cal, Trojan fan and alum. Yeah, Harold, actually, I do think this team has a good uh, family atmosphere. I think Clay Helton has done nothing but, but help out there. But before that, this is a team, you can go back to the Josh situation, but other than that, this team is, and even that shouldn't have been, what happened there shouldn't have happened the way it did. And it was kind of mishandled, but, uh, but these aren't, these are good kids. It's hard to, football is played by some tough guys and, and it can be kind of a, a tough ride to oversee it and all that. And you don't get that feeling with the kids that are at USC. I mean, I've been really, really impressed with, uh, you know, the last few years, uh, that, that you really, you don't see the kind of, you know, boy, you know, you got to go out there with a, you know, a chair and a whip and, you know, keep them all lined up and, you know, no, you don't have to do any of that. I, I'm, uh, so, so I don't think this, this is a sign of anything, you know, negative in terms of the family atmosphere or the team. I, I think it, it, this is really kind of a, um, uh, uh, you know, a personal situation for, for Chad that it, it is what it is, but, uh, but I don't know that that, you know, cast any negative, uh, you know, light on this, uh, on this football team. I really don't think so. And I, I would tell you if there were issues, if there were discipline, you know, things don't, I just don't get that sense at all. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I don't get the sense either. Um, but it, that was a weird, it's kind of par for the course, dad. Just we're, I, I think USC fans and, and the team, honestly, are just used to stuff like that happening, you know, and, and, this is really the first time we're going to see Clay Helton in a kind of a disciplinary role. Um, we've asked him every day. It's been, you know, no update. He's just supporting his, his player and just wants the best for him. But we just don't know, you know, kind of what's going to happen. I mean, I, I can't see him pick playing in the, the Holiday Bowl. But, um, you know, Clay Helton wouldn't say that today. He was asked specifically about his status, and he wouldn't say he's definitely out yet. Yeah, but I'd, I'd be – Terribly shocked if he plays, and I just think you know his future is. We'll see. I don't know where this all goes, and, and football doesn't become the most important thing uh, at this point. But um, but I don't get the sense that this is even a blip for the team. I just just don't have any sense, and maybe it's one of the you know the things that these guys have been through so many things over the last so many years. They just keep moving right on. Yeah. And you don't get that sense. I mean, I thought Josh Shaw, that really hurt him last year. It just didn't have anybody to replace him. And it went on, you know, through the first 10 games, which was ridiculous, uh, that that was allowed to go, you know, that long. But, uh, uh, I don't get the sense that this one's going to throw them even a little bit, that they just are ready to, ready to move on and, um, not look back. All right, let's move on. We got an internet. We do have a, an actual international question. Brian in Montreal. Now, that's kind of long. I'll try to pare it down a little, but it's, well, here, I'll start reading for you. He says, it appears that I'm one of the handful of remaining Trojan supporters maintaining a healthy dose of skepticism of the direction of the program. I've been taken aback seeing a community that once was full of high expectations and which regularly second-guessed the decisions coming out of Heritage Hall suddenly go soft and cuddly. 
I don't, I don't know about that. I mean, it's probably split down the yeah. middle, but there's definitely some soft and cuddly people. He, he's not reading all the posts, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's there's, it's kind of half and half, I would say. I couldn't believe the degree to which you re- you recently had to defend your reservations about T. Martin about the T. Martin promotion on Twitter. The message boards have become something of a leaky dam of faulty logic that you've used up all your fingers trying to plug. Our administration for the personalities or philosophies of Helton and Martin should not blind us to the meagerness of their resumes respectful to their new titles. It's been said and remains true, USC is not a program for those requiring training wheels, nor, especially after the disasters of Sark and Kiffin and those eras, are we in a position to be placing bets on unknown quantities. Um, Neither should recruiting or stability slash uh, continuity concerns dominate the conversation. The suggestion that USC can no longer attract, attract excuse me, top-tier candidates also does not carry weight, especially when even the slimmest of evidence supporting that notion that the program has exhausted all options is completely lacking. If returning USC to championship-caliber status is our goal, the development of the last month ought to give all thoughtful Trojans and fans pause. It's all well and good to be hopeful and supportive. It's another thing to pass this blind, blind optimism off as a substitute for any set of facts demonstrating the notion that currently trends, that, I'm sorry, that current trends will not end with the same sort of disappointment as the previous post-Carol tenures. Um, he kind of goes on, I'll, I'll probably, let me, yeah, that's, yeah. but that's bright. That's, you kind of get the gist of it. Sorry, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, you talk about facts, and, and that's one of the, the difficulties in terms of hiring and staffing and predicting the future and all that. To really, you could say, oh, the facts on the resume, but there's no predictive quality. I don't think there really isn't that much of a predictive quality about, you know, some of that. I think, for example, I think T. Martin is one of the more accomplished assist, assistant coaches in the country. I don't think there's any question about that. I think there'd be a lot of people they would try to figure out a way to get him on their staff. Um, and he's certainly been a rock at USC. I mean, he's, you know, he's just been solid guy. He wants to be there. Uh, this is the next, uh, the next move. And, uh, I think it's, he earned it. And I think they're going to have to grow together. I mean, he's, he's got Clay, Clay is also an offensive guy and a quarterback's guy. And I think these guys are going to have to, you know, figure it out together with an offensive line coach who they, who really, you know, gets, uh, what they want to do. It's interesting that what they want to do is not something that either of the coaches who hired them, you know, Lane Kiffin or, and then Steve Sarkeesian, it's not the same as, as these guys who could be considered mentors. I mean, I'm not sure it's the same, uh, of any of the guys and Clay coach for uh, when you look back at their their pass all the way back. So they're going to be figuring this out on their own. And how do we get there? And how do we you know do this and do that? And how do how do you become a uh, run first? You know, win it in the trenches. Uh, Stanford, uh, Alabama, kind of a football team. Uh, I like that. That's USC's history. Uh, I think it's uh, I think it's built to win. For example, we could talk about Clay uh, this year. He didn't lose any games he was supposed to win. Didn't have any. The Washington game wasn't on his resume. I think that's one of the benefits of playing physical and and, and 
doing that kind of you don't have those kinds of upsets. I mean, I growing up in Kentucky, for example, and you'd see one after another, year after year, SEC team come come in there, and almost never were the good ones upset because they grind, they would grind it out, and they were physical, and they had better athletes than you did, and they didn't let you take. And in the SEC, everybody played the same way. So you couldn't quite take as much advantage of it. But um, but I think, you know, I like the direction that they want to go in. I like the athletes that they've got to do it. But now they have to do it. And I used to remember I did an awful lot of college basketball. And you always got down to, and you get to the Final Four every year, and you and you'd, you'd look around and you'd say, some guys can coach. And some guys can't. It's that simple. And what those qualities are that separate the guys who can coach from the guys who can't quite coach at that very top level, they do it all different ways. But it's very difficult to predict or quantify. And so these are the guys who are going to lead USC you know, for the near future. And I'm not sure that taking it all apart every single day, you know, deconstructing it um, does a lot of good. I think the initial analysis and, you know, how did this happen? Why did it happen? What does it mean? That's all well and good. To keep returning and going back and going back and going back, you know, after a month. And maybe you'll go back after the uh, the holiday bowl. But at this point, I think you just say, I'm kind of interested in seeing how they're, you know, are they going to be different for the Holiday Bowl? You know, they don't have their whole staff, obviously, don't have more than half the staff. But how do they coach up the uh, grant assistants and the new people that are moving in? And, and how do they, you know, make the decisions on the game plans and all that? I think, for example, what we've heard is T. Martin's doing the game plan completely. Clay has uh, a whole lot of work to do on, uh, you know, putting the staff together and figuring out how the contracts and all that are going to work. And um, uh, he's turned that over to, to T. And this is going to be T's first, uh, you know, full game plan. So I'm really interested in how that's all going to work. I could say, oh, he hasn't done it. It's probably not going to work. But I don't know that. And I'm not sure anybody else does either. So I'm kind of you know, I think this is one of those glass half full kind of deals. Uh, you can, you know, say it's half empty, but it doesn't cost you any more to say it's half full. And, you know, maybe it is half full. And uh, I think that's, that's kind of how I'm approaching this uh, for whatever that's worth. But uh, so Brian had, I'll, I'll read you the last part of what he was saying. Uh, I was kind of running out of steam at the, at the other part, but he said, thanks again, Ryan, for being the voice of reason. In an internet wilderness overgrown with blind faith, uh, as a media outlet that regularly covers uh, this coaching staff, you haven't let a fear of stepping on toads or burning bridges keep you from speaking your mind. A USCfootball.com takeover of the program would have me more hopeful than I currently am. With Coach Harvey Hyde leading the team on the field, Gerard on the recruiting trail, Dan pursuing the NCAA to the ends of the earth, and you as an AD who's proven time and again to be a better judge of direction than our favorite road scholar whipping boy we would finally have a solid uh, reason to believe that this team could return to its proper place at the top 
of the college football world. Thanks, for Brian. So he wants us to take over. Yeah, I, I can't disagree with that at all, to be honest <laughs> with you. And, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that just to be funny. And I don't disagree with that. But, you know, it is what it is. Uh, but we do pay a lot of attention to, to what's going on. And I will say this: we do have a better track record uh, in terms of what we said should be done, what was done, what wasn't done, all of that. I think if you look at our track record. Um, USCfootball.com track record is probably a better track record. Uh, that doesn't necessarily say anything about, uh, Clay Helton, the staff going forward. Uh, you know, wonderful guy to deal with. Uh, the kids really, you know, really like him, really rally around him. Uh, and it all comes down to now, can you really coach football at the top level? That there aren't a lot of people that can. Uh, you know, the 100 and what, 128, uh, uh, FBS teams now. And, you know, how many have, how many great, great coaches are there? And there are people who would say, at a great program, historically great program like USC, you deserve a great coach. There just aren't that many. Yeah. Uh, and so it's going to be interesting to see. Um, can you do all the things you got to be able to do to get the job done and uh, and getting the program to? I will say this: looking at all the things that have gone wrong, on top of the NCAA sanctions and all the decisions and the personalities of the previous two head coaches and all of that, yes, he's had two ten-win seasons in the last five. They, they, they won more games than anybody had any right to, uh, you know, assume they would. They've been ranked number one. They've had number one recruiting classes. And this is against the backdrop of, you know, guys throwing darts to make decisions and, and, and not getting them right. And yet, you know, this is a program with hope. And there are a lot of programs, if they'd have gone through what USC's gone through the last five years, there would be very little hope. So I might you know, temper some of my negativity at this point and just say, you know, again, hope's not a plan, but this is a program. You're not wrong if you have hope for it. How's that? that that's a good way to put it, Dan. All right, we've got a few more. We'll knock these out. Uh, one voicemail, and we'll have a couple uh, emails. Here's the voicemail one. What up, guys? This is Randall in Dallas. The question is for Dan. Uh, when it comes to players who are in the NFL, are you counting from the school that you were drafted out of only uh, or do the schools anytime that you transfer also get to pick that as one of their uh, players in the NFL? Like like Bryce Butler, he played at USC. He was drafted from San Diego State. So do both schools get to count him or only San Diego State? Also, was John Harbaugh one of the coaches that were being considered for the head coaching position before the hire. Uh, I appreciate everything you guys do each week. I'm out here in Cabo this week, and I'll be listening to it when I come back. Thanks and fight on. Hey, man. Uh, hope you make the uh, uh, the game at uh, Jerry's World next year. You'll be uh, That's right in your neighborhood. Uh, I think Harbaugh had to be considered just because he kind of put his name out there a little bit. Uh, and it certainly looked like there was 
you know, and you look at what's going on with, you know, his brother and what's going on at the, you know, at the Ravens and all that. I think they definitely, there were some phone calls. Uh, how that works? Is that an agent calling somebody? Is, you know, what kind of follow up is there? Is there like, well, let's put together a package and just knock him out? You know, I don't think probably to that level, but, uh, but I would think there was some, you know, mutual kind of back and forth, uh, in the early stages. And then, you know, push comes to shove or timing becomes the issue whenever it's an NFL guy. Uh, Boom, boom, boom. Uh, I'm trying to think. His oh, the, question before. As far as like NFL guys, like there's the USC oh, I think it's, more, it's like the Hall of Fame in baseball where they ask you what what hat do you want to wear uh, on the you know on the the bust. Uh, I would guess that. I mean, I, I'm sure USC is going to take take credit for Bryce, and I think San Diego State absolutely will as well. And so I think. You know, it, the decision would have to be made if he makes the Hall of Fame, and then he kind of has to decide, uh, you know, which uh, jersey or which hat you end up uh, you end up wearing. But uh, but I think they're both gonna they're both gonna credit, uh, you know, uh, Bryce, no question about it. Yeah. Yeah, he'll be on USC's list of NFL players. Uh, I'm sure he already is. Yeah, like Russell oh, Wilson, yeah, I think, but... you know, they talk about him at North Carolina State, right? And and also Wisconsin, where he transferred. He, he was oh, North Carolina State. without a doubt. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah so those graduate transfers, especially when you go from a big school to a big school or a, a fairly big school. Um, let's go. Okay, two more. John says, Michigan just hired the Boston College defensive coordinator. Harbaugh did not have his linebacker coach audition for the job during their bowl game. What time frame is reasonable for us to expect Clay Helton to make this incredibly important hire? It feels like too many decisions are based on recruiting, but having the defensive coordinator position filled might be important to some recruits. Happy holidays to all of you and your families. Beat the Badgers from John. It wouldn't surprise me if the defensive coordinator job is kind of filled or it's understood or it's one or the other, let's say, I don't think they're still out there searching, you know, the waters for with a big wide net. Uh, I would think it's really pretty close to being decided, and it might be for whatever timing reason it can't be done at this time, but it wouldn't surprise me if there are no more than two under consideration at this point in time would would be my guess. All right. And then we got one last one. It's kind of long, too. Rex in SEC. Uh, he's in Georgia, SEC land. He says, Ryan, I've been reading your post about how off kilter we were basically for the last few years since Cody has been the quarterback on throwing mainly to one receiver. Seems to me that this is a habit that has been ingrained into Cody by first Kiffin and then Sark but it's made him where he has tunnel vision for Juju Smith this year and, of course, the leading receivers in the other years. I noticed uh, on a view from behind Cody during the Oregon game that Tyler Petit was wide open down the seam between two deep safeties and no one closer than 10 yards to him. Cody looked down the middle, pulled the ball down, and rolled out to his right, forcing the ball to Juju into tight coverage on the sideline. Also, during the Stanford game, Keeley tweeted that Cody... Uh, must only see Juju on the field because the tight end was wide open all day and Cody never looked that way. 
Do you think that it's just a habit of his? Or also, do you think that Max Brown should play a good bit in the Holiday Bowl? My thought is start Cody and then play Brown as much as possible with T. Martin calling the plays. Get some uh, continuity going with these two in a game situation. If we play Cody all game and Helton calls plays, in my opinion, Helton doesn't get it uh, any better than Sark or Kiffin. Going into Bama with newbies at every spot is squandering an opportunity. Thanks for all you do. Merry Christmas and happy holidays to you and your crew. Coach Hyde, Dan, love your podcast. Rex in SEC land. Yeah, Rex, I think uh, they're going to go just like this in a regular game. Uh, they're not going to be uh, getting Max ready for next year. Hopefully it turns out like that, that maybe there's the opportunity to do that. Uh, that hasn't worked much this year at all, uh, and that's that's too bad. I don't know that that will uh, hurt Max that much in getting ready for next year. He's going to be ready. I really I believe that. Um, I don't know that what you see is the result of uh, plays that are called to go a specific way. I think part of it is Juju is so unbelievably trustworthy and physically able to get where he's supposed to get. And if you were Cody, for example, um, he's had a couple of interceptions where another wide receiver who you think by now he's on the same page with, with it, just stop running the pattern. And uh, that would give me pause to think, gosh, do I want to throw to somebody who might cut off a pattern in a couple of situations, uh, one right on the goal line where uh, you're just not sure. And I think a big part of what has to happen with the wide receiver group, and you did have a lot of young guys, is they have to win, you know, the the trust of the quarterback, and um, uh, that didn't happen like you would like it to have happened this year. So, um, so I can understand why Cody does what he does. I can understand why Juju's the guy. Uh, I know that they don't really, you know, favor throwing the ball to the tight end, so that takes kind of one person out of the mix, and even if you say, okay, this is one where we're probably going to have a shot at the tight end. If you haven't run much to the tight end, if you're the quarterback, you're still not 100% sure is he going to be in the right place at the right time. And uh, I think they've been a little scattershot all year, and I think that was the loss of focus. I think a, a lot of that was, uh, was uh, you know, kind of the way, the way Sark coached. There was kind of a lack of, of focus and it kind of all over the place. And, um, and I, that's, I think, the biggest challenge for Clay and T, to get that kind of, you know, laser focus that you see from a, a Sanford or an Alabama so that you really are able to use all your weapons. I mean, you can have a laser focus where you're single-minded in what you're doing and how you're doing it, and yet – when you need to throw the ball to the tight end or when you need to throw it to somebody who you don't often throw it to, you know that guy's going to be where he's supposed to be. And you also know that whoever's supposed to pick up the backside, you know, rusher, like against Stanford and, uh, and Oregon and didn't happen, uh, and you're the quarterback, you may not want to run some of those plays or you may not want to take a chance to let the play really develop 
because you don't know if somebody's coming, coming, you know, bearing down on you from behind and going to knock that ball loose. Uh, and, you know, we saw the results in both of those games. So, uh, there's a lot of trust building, I think, that has to go on. And Juju's done that. And I think, you know, I wouldn't overstate that it's Cody's uh, inability to do this or inability to do that. I think it's, uh, it's a, it's an entire team kind of a thing. And, uh, and that hasn't happened the way it really should have happened this year. The, uh, so what people were referring to the last, well, there's a couple of questions that I, I was tweeting some of this stuff last night. And I posted on uscfootball.com on the peristyle, just was looking at some of the stats. And Cody Kessler, uh, for his 42% of his passing yards, which is quite a bit, uh, went to one guy, went to Juju Smith. And if you added up all of the other wide receivers, like the regular wide receivers and all of their yards, they were still like 250 yards. You added them all together, 250 yards behind Juju. Um, so the number two wide receiver, the number two receiver on the team, was Adore Jackson, who's a cornerback, you know, so, um, and he was a thousand yards behind, more than a thousand yards behind Juju. So that's, I, I think just kind of looking at those numbers from, you know, after the season ended, Dan, I tweeted them out and kind of posted them. I think that's why we got a couple of those questions come in. It is a little shocking to see how big of a difference it was, Juju versus everybody else. And it is the right question. Why isn't there the ability to throw to those other people. Why Why isn't there that confidence there? Why isn't there, you know, what's not happening uh, you know, for that to happen? And it, we can all understand why Juju is such a strong presence, but why isn't there any of that or as much of that as you need at every one of the other spots? I think Darius is pushing uh, more and more you know, to be one of those guys. Uh, uh, but... Uh, but I think that's the real thing we need to see from this wide receiver group, you know, going forward is other guys to step up and say, look, you know, here I am. I'll be where I'm supposed to be every single time and I will catch the ball. I won't, you know, break off any pattern. I won't just assume. And, and you could, you know, flip it around and say, well, one of the reasons maybe a guy breaks off a pattern is because he doesn't think the ball's coming his way. And yeah. I think yeah. that happened a couple of times with Stephen Mitchell with, uh, you know, the results of interception. And he was open and he was the guy that, you know, to have the ball thrown to. And, you know, you have the quarterback and the wide receiver, you know, coming off the field talking to one another about what the heck just happened. And that's where offenses have to get better. And obviously the fact that, you know, Clay and T were in charge of this offense. It's something they have to get right, and uh, you can't say anything. I say it any other way, but uh, they got to get it right. All right. Well, Dan, great stuff. We did a an hour podcast on uh, Christmas week, so it's not too bad. Um, lots of questions, but I think I appreciate you taking the time to answer them all. There were so many, a lot of good ones coming in there. So a lot um, of good questions, they're, yeah. they're, and the right questions, the questions USC has to answer. <laughs> <laughs> and we don't mean that in a bad way. That's what it's all about. Yeah. Get, get those questions answered. All right, Dan. Well, we'll see you out there at practice again tomorrow. Um, thanks for coming on the show. And everyone else, thanks so much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. We might try to do, definitely doing a podcast of champions this week. Might try to do one with Gerard. We'll see. I'm actually going to be traveling on Wednesday evening. So we'll see what I can get done 
between practice and all that. But thanks so much for tuning in, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Here's a quick message from our sponsor, Michael Moline Real Estate. Most people know that buying or selling real estate is no small undertaking. Understanding the market value of your home, pricing, advertising, closing, and perhaps even selling personal property along the way are all examples of the real estate journey. And Michael Moline Real Estate has the experience to help make that journey an enjoyable one. Southern California real estate inventories are at historic lows, so there is no better time than now to sell your residential property. Whether you're moving into a bigger home or downsizing, personal property is often a component of the real estate estate transaction. Michael Moline Real Estate has industry expertise to help you with both your real property and your personal property as you get ready to transition. Michael Moline Real Estate specializes in properties located on the west side of Los Angeles and the southern San Fernando Valley communities. Allow Michael Moline Real Estate to give you a free comparative market analysis and home valuation so you know how much your home is worth today. Contact Michael Moline at michaelmolinerealestate.com. That's Michael M O L I N E realestate.com. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 